back, Crusaders, to the Crusade Podcast. This is episode 53. Uh, I'm your host today, Ian, and with me as always is Courtney. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about some TV shows and a couple movies that we saw. Uh, the first movie we saw was 2024, even though the movie came out in 2023, but it's our first movie of 2024. Um, so, two shows we're going to be talking about will be uh, Night Country, which is True Detective Season 4, and Death and Other Details are the two main shows that we're watching mm-hmm. now until... A few other things come out, like Avatar at the end of the month and a few other things. Uh, then we'll jump on those uh, bandwagons as they as those new shows start hitting for the new year. Bandwagons. <clears throat> well, I'm sure everybody's going to be talking about Avatar. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, and then we also got Aquaman and the Godzilla movie to talk about, uh, yes. which was surprisingly very good. So uh, let's jump into Night Country. Mm-hmm. This was episode... Three. Three. Um, and it is actually very very good so far it's still ha- it's to me it's still like a stephen king story yes very there are supernatural elements that i don't see them explaining away well because a lot of it is also connected to the people of the you know, the, the tribes. tribes people uh so you kind of have that spiritual element that you can't quite explain away and also it's you know eternal night right now so Weird shit happens. You're like, well, it's the spirits kind of fucking with you. Yeah, and that's and that is a constant theme with like Stephen King books, where it goes back to like, oh, there's a Native American tribe that encountered it first. You know, yeah, something something native was on the land where the of the hotel and the shining first. Right. So it's always like he goes back to those Native American themes. Um, some people re- have read way into that in the uh, Overlook Hotel. That's a whole other documentary you can actually find, I think, on Netflix or something that goes into that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of Native American stuff uh, pulled into Stephen King books. Um, and this is having that feel of uh, the uh, Inuit natives of Alaska and their stuff. And also, I feel like this is a good way to show their their current culture, unlike how Echo did it. I 100% agree because it's also showing like their struggle with the uh, mining company and how uh, how it is poisoning them, but also and yet they still need it because of all the jobs because it employs 50% of the population there. And it's not just the out of town miners. It is locals, too, that work in the mines. And. It I I really enjoyed this episode because it did show a lot of uh, the background for the uh, Inuit people that live up there, and also how it's going to be playing a bigger role in the these like next uh, few episodes. I feel like especially with uh, they're uncovering the death of uh, Anna. Yeah. So like. It also gave us a lot of good background on Navarro's character and yes. why like, she feels outcasted in that area uh, and not one with the tribe 100% and obviously not one with the white people who live there because she she's, clearly, not... she's clearly a uh, mixed uh, native. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, she doesn't fit in on either side. And we got more of that with her background story about how when her mom ran off and left them. Her mom didn't tell her what her native name was. Yeah. And when they meet up with one of the people they're looking for, he asks her, what's your name? And then it assumes that she forgot because she forgot the ways of the natives. It's like, no, she was just never told it. Yeah. Um, so she's shunned by the natives for not knowing her native culture that as well as they think she should without knowing the circumstances. And she's obviously shunned by the other community because she's uh, a brown, brown skin, like half, half black, half... Uh, native uh who's also a cop so people already don't like you yep <laughs> um and she's also a hothead so yeah she's obviously wrote some people the wrong way but obviously it's because she feels outcast in a place where she should feel like she's at home and she doesn't mm-hmm. um but as far as like the big mysteries going here like they're running they're racing the clock against getting the guys thought out and trying to get a, a forensic scientist there to, yep to fly up to examine them properly yeah to tell him what the cause of death was yeah but with the uh weather he's not going to be able to make yeah. it in time and then they're also trying to track down um more information about the one guy who's alive well they sent out a search party that turned into a shit show <laughs> which is kind of weird like they had 48 hours on they actually think the guy's out in the snow 
I guess, surviving by himself. Well, Like, how? How is yeah. he doing this? Uh, something's definitely up there. And there's a lot more supernatural elements they can throw in here. But basically, they have a search party that's going out searching the snow. Um, Nuvera goes out there. I think she's kind of, like, ditched by the other cops. Well, she's just kind of meandering by herself. Yeah, and so and she throws one of the pieces of fruit, fruit that the other guys dropped dropped as they jumped out of their truck. But somebody th- somebody in the darkness threw the fruit back at her. Yeah, because um, it rolls back to her. But then she gets called on the radio to come in because her sister um, has an ep- had an episode. Um, and then Jodie Foster's character is also dealing with the fact that. She has insubordinate cops on her team for which, for reasons we still don't know why, other than that they don't respect her. Yeah. Um, and that for some reason, Hank thinks she's trying to fuck her son, his son, which makes no sense whatsoever. Well, because we find out from Navarro that uh, she, that Jodie Foster's character, uh, Danvers, has slept with a lot of people around the police department, so that's probably why. Okay. He's. Hinting at that, the Mrs. Robinson relationship. Yeah. But later on, she also says, I don't fuck where I eat. So it's like, she wants... She's learned her lesson. She's fucking outside of the community, basically. Yeah. She goes down to Fairbanks Because everybody knows everybody there. But what I also kind of get, because like, we still don't know, and they have never explained what APB was. All, All I can think of is, or ABP, Alaska Bureau of Police, maybe. Yeah. Because... There's Alaska State Troopers, which is what Navarro is, and that's in real life. That's kind of what the real police force is around Alaska. So well, especially in the rural parts, because yeah. the, there's not really a much of yeah, or like a designated police department, yeah, or police force. Like usually, it's each uh, tribal community will appoint someone who's like their safety officer, and if stuff happens they'll call in state troopers state troopers fly in when they can and yeah so for this uh, little town there yeah. we're assuming that her organization is a police obviously a police force there and she's basically chief of the police so like the one like scene that like really him a lot of culture stuff which was what for the daughter told her hey so and so had a stillborn today do you even care about that mm-hmm. like part of me was like well she's a detective on uh like almost like the, in like almost an fbi type of group why would she care so much about the community but i was like okay no she has to be more considered like a chief of police even though she's not elected to her position by the people there she everybody in the town knows everybody like the drunk driver in the first episode so it must be like Okay, yeah, she should be connecting more with the people that she's supposed yeah. to be protecting. She's not just an investigation agent. She's so an outside entity. Yeah. It's like you live with these people. Yeah. You, your daughter goes to school with these people. Like, but like, you can't be a total ass, which uh, will probably de- dwell into why she's become so stone cold and hardened. Yeah. Because, like... Um, there's two scenes. One's a flashback with uh, Navarro trying to arrest Annie before she got killed. Yeah. And that being like... That was um, the opener. Yeah, that was like the birthing scene mm-hmm. where we got to see the tribal women like do a home birth and like them chant, them just singing their songs and how they and how they would do that today. And then at the kind of the wake for the stillborn where uh, Danvers shows up to kind of give her condolences because she too lost her own child that she had with her husband. Yeah. Um possibly in that car accident we don't know exactly what happened there but now but we definitely know that she had a kid that she lost mm-hmm. and all that's left is her stepdaughter and her um but so she goes there to give her condolences which like i like that there was no lines there she didn't go in there and say my condolences or talk to anybody it was just watching them all kind of sing and chant and quietly like observing the moment yeah which was really nice and like i felt like that's showing the current state of their culture and how they interact with the real world where, like, Echo the was... The real world? Well, like, the well, Western world. Well, the Western world where, like, Echo is like, here's this Native, Native American community. Like, they run everything in this town. Yeah. And they, de- and they deal with white tourists who come by and want to buy Navajo pottery and shit, and they make fun of them type yeah. of stuff. Um, and they have their big powwow. Yeah, but, like, that's not necessarily... Like, Res Dogs is more of a realistic depiction yes. of Native American life than a guy who owns a roller rink and then also runs the Fisk Shipping Company, too. Yeah. Like, that's... that's yeah, Res Dogs is a great example yeah. of 
how reservation life truly is and how they interact with day-to-day, you know, white people communities. Yeah. Um, um, Echo is definitely not going to no. feel that way. <laughs> um, so and Night gonna... Country is doing an excellent job, too. Yeah. So both of them are A-pluses. Um, but as we go through not Echo. <laughs> the, the mystery of this is that um, mm-hmm. a couple of big things happen. So we find out that the last case that Danvers and Navarro worked on before Navarro went to the troopers... Was not Annie's. Was not Annie's. Like we thought it was a different case where it was like this piece of shit guy who's been in and out of prison for domestic violence or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an ongoing like domestic violence. With an 18 year old girl. Yep. Who he ended up killing. And when Demers is telling the, the deputy <laughs> kid, uh, Peter, the story, she tells him that when they got there, it was, it was a murder a- suicide. But the visuals tell a completely yeah. different story. Yeah, the visuals is that they get there, and she, the girl's dead, and he's sitting in a chair laughing about it, uh, which means either Navarro or Danvers pulled the trigger and killed him. And I'm guessing Danvers did. Just mm-hmm. judging by where they're positioned when uh, the scene cuts, it would make more sense for a looks like murder suicide. Got shot on the side of the if head. If he got shot in the side of the head, which was where Danvers was. Yeah, I honestly think if he, but, when they show it, they're going to show them moving to the front and somebody shooting them in the front. Fair. Because um, even where they were, they're still behind her, even though she's at the side. It'd be like the entry wounds from the back out the front. Yeah. Um, if they move around him to confront him, then one of them pops him. It would make sense that Navarro left because Danvers obviously didn't keep to the police code and took justice in her own hands. Or that Navarro left because Navarro couldn't control herself and shot her and Danvers covered and said, hey, good traffic You're to the go- troopers. Yeah. Um, so we interesting to see how that plays out. But that's a, that's a big piece of their background that nobody knows but them, the secret that they're holding. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, they don't. They, they get a vet. Cause <clears throat> yeah, the, cause that's what I about. Uh, deputy uh, says that he has a cousin who's a vet that can possibly look at the dead body yeah. since they can't get the forensic guide in. She's like, fine, do it. I'll, I'm desperate for anything. Yeah, because the, the next time the forensic guy can get in would be the next day, which that's going to be Friday, which means the bodies will be thawed and they'll be shipped down to Anchorage and Anchorage may or may not share any more information. Yeah. So she has him calling his friend who's a vet and his friend is shocked because when he went, uh, the deputy Peter asked him, like, hey, do you think that guy scratches his own eyes? I was like, dude, you've been looking at this shit all day? What, what the hell? He's like, this is messed up. Um, but what he, the interesting information he gives her, which we kind of already knew, is that but everybody, we kind of uh, jumped to the assumption that all the cops do is that, oh, they froze to death. But they're all screaming and panicking and running and they're yeah. frozen it's in the ice, right? It's a pure fear. And he says, no, like, when you freeze to death, you get tired, you fall asleep, and it's a peaceful death because um, everything slows down. These guys all died scared. And he's like, I've seen elk die of fear. The caribou. Yeah, the caribou die of fear, and it looks like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is what reflects back to the very opening of this season, was that hunter tracking the caribou, and then the caribou just freaking running. out and running and jumping, jumping off, off the cliff. cliff. So, yeah. I'm, so it's stuff starting to connect. Yeah, and then they also do tie back to that hunter, who I'm assuming is the guy that they're looking for, which is yep. a dude who was who used to work at the scientific uh, research lab mm-hmm. as an engineer, but he wasn't on paper there, and he like he used a fake name. He basically doesn't exist. Um, but Navarro, through her local contacts, finds out a finds out where he is, and they go see him. On he's hanging out with a nomad tribe up north. Mm-hmm. So they drive out there, and that's where, like, we get that moment where he's like, hey, what's your name? Oh, did you forget? And then he kicks him out of their, uh, out of his house. Yeah, but um, they inform him, like, hey, all your old uh, colleagues. Con- colleagues are dead. And that's a shock to him. So I think he'll come back around and talk to him yeah, more Yeah, he knows something's later. up. And he knows, so- yeah. And something's so- up that made him, A, leave, but B, also be very concerned about his old colleagues. Enough to like where he's like, get the hell out of here. I don't want to talk to you. Um, and yeah. Basically threatened to shoot them with a shotgun. And then they left. Um, and then the last scene is uh, the guy that was alive on, on the ice, uh, woke up from his coma, 
But he he ain't doing too yeah, hot. His retinas are burned. Uh, he has one hand that has gangrene on the fingers. Both his legs are so. gone, and his other arm is cut off at the elbow, basically. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously in shock and pain as uh, he's awake, and they're trying to ask him questions. But then, like, a brawl breaks out in the hospital from, like, the hillbilly guys. That were out searching for the other... Yeah, it's never explained, like, yeah. why they showed up at the hospital and why this fight happened. No, that'll probably be explained <clears throat> yeah. next episode. But Novero has to leave as chief of police to, like, go and help detain these people and, like, stop the fight in the in the lobby. Navarro is, sta- is staying in the room, um, and the guy is basically passed out again because they gave him a sedative. Uh, but then he gets up, like, just sits up like normal. <clears throat> and turns then, to Navarro. Turns to Navarro and tells her, your mother's out there waiting for you, and then points... And then basically falls down and then starts screaming again and then he and pa- it dies. dies. Yeah. But like he said with a clear voice, so like that's why like out of all the the like I said the True Detective series, like the first one was very, had a cult thing and some new supernatural stuff, but in the end it kind of gets explained away. Like this mm-hmm. is very Stephen Kingish where you're not going to explain this away. There is some definite supernatural element. Um, that then brings us to the very, very final scene yes. where, uh, the deputy kid comes, uh, shows up after he was able to unlock Annie's phone that they found in the trailer from yeah. the last episode. And it's her last like video where she's appears to be like in an ice cave. She's frightened. She says that she's found it. Right. Or something. Yeah. She's like, I found it. I found it. And she's this found is, it. And like, this is my last words. If this is the last video you see of me, blah, blah, blah. And then Paul- like. If she doesn't get much out of it, like, this might be the last things yeah, I, I and then, say. Like, and then, like, he's she's... here, and then she starts screaming bloody murder. Yeah, then we don't see what's happening because she gets pulled off the screen, but then they're still looking at it while we keep hearing her scream. Yeah, and, and the deputy so. kid does look away, so it must be something horrific, or he just can't stand to look at yeah. whatever. It but, could be this. And you can't really tell where she is because it's just a close-up on her face, but you can tell from, like, the little bits of the background you see, it looks like an ice cave. Yeah. So it's definitely something strange going on. Um, they can't explain that to be like a polar bear attack. Because again, she was stabbed 32 times or 36 times. 32 times. And her tongue, her tongue was cut out. Yeah. So, it was never found with her body. Yeah. It was found. Yeah, but shown up. Years later at the science uh, facility. So ends on that note. Excited to see what happens next week. Yes. Like I said, it's a really good mystery. Really good uh, character development between all the characters. Um, we have all these little secrets that everybody has that they're keeping from each other. There's still more to find out. Um, it's kind of because like, I wouldn't say this is through Navarro's eyes. I wouldn't say it's through Denver's eyes. No. Or even the deputy. But like, we're finding stuff out at the same time the deputy finds stuff out most of the time. Yeah. Um, so it is an interesting uh Interesting depiction of an Alaskan village at the top of the world during this, like, 30, 40 days of night. Yeah. Uh, so, again, you can watch it on HBO Max. I definitely suggest you check it out if you have access to it. It is definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. On on Sundays. Yep. Uh, all right. The next thing we're going to talk about is Death and Other Details. It comes out on Tuesdays, Tuesdays on Hulu. Hulu. Uh, first three episodes are out so far. They premiered with two, and then they just they are going one episode out a week now. Uh, so we just watched episode three called Troublesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the introduction of the Interpol agent. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, who is great because she has like the Swedish accent. She's like, very over the top. Swedish and she loves her timetable and she's very strict on it. And she's played by Linda Edmond who played the mother, the producer mother at the third season of... Um, Death Mur- in... Only, only murders, murders in, in the, the building. building. Yeah. Uh, which is surprised because like... Her style and everything here, they don't. She does not look the same at all. From going yeah. like a, a like a born and bred New Yorker to like this Swedish cop with She's almost Swedish. like a comical accent. It's over the top. It's hilarious. She has a delight on the screen. Yeah. Uh, so she's working with Rufus and walking through the timeline. Um, she's he's clearly researched her. She's researched him. Um, she doesn't want to hear his theories about what's happened. She's just going for the facts and evidence. And wants to get this done really yeah. quick. Um, so he's trying to throw her as off the trail as possible. Yeah, while also being 100% honest, too, so that he's not... Uh, yeah, a suspect, suspect or... or be arrested for interference. Yeah. 
Um, the whole deal between the family and the Chinese family is falling apart completely. Um, and we find out that what they, the Chinese people had said during uh, the interviews, the first uh, second episode, uh, that they're broke is actually true when they finally go through the financial papers. Yes. Um, which basically, they don't find anything to tie back to uh, Imogene's uh, parent mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at, at that point, like he's like, you've been wanting to connect everything the whole time. You're, you've missed all the other clues because you've been focusing on trying to connect stuff to their, to her mother. So I'm sure they'll go back and we'll see next episode all the stuff that we missed that was actually there. Yeah. But a ton of more mysteries popped up, right? Because like the we're uh, getting in more with the crew more, of the ship. Yeah, the crew, which is a lot of our family, to the head like crew mistress. Mistress. That's what she feels like. It's a crew director. Yeah. Or cruise director is what they're called. Yeah, I guess what her she's Teddy Angela Zhao. Yes. The actress. Does a great job of being like, I'm in charge of the family, keeping everybody safe, and she's telling everybody to like tell the truth. The crew is like, Hey, they don't care about us. They're gonna try and blame us for this murder and we didn't do anything. Uh Interpol is searching all their rooms mm-hmm. um and going through their stuff. And that's when we kind of uh, find out that Jules, the head security person, is not necessarily who he seems. Uh, he, nope. is ve- he is very at, very much pushing the owner of the boat to like, hey, we need a dock. We need a dock. Which is like, that's the stupidest thing to do. There's a murderer on the boat. As soon as you dock, They're people off. get off the boat and they disappear. Yeah. While you're on the boat, the murderer's stuck there, right? Unless he gets in a lifeboat and leaves. And then you'll definitely know who no. it was. Yes. So it... Even at that point, you know, the owner of the boat's like, well, "Should I find it curious that you want to dock so you want to disembark so quickly?" Um, and then while they're searching the rooms, they find out that Jules has been missing for like a day. Yeah, nobody, on, none of the crew have seen him since the night before. Um, and then we find out that the uh, Anna, the daughter of the big rich family, or whatnot, uh, her wife is doing weird shit weirder than normal than her normal like yeah part looking for listening devices stuff she's wandering around the ship uh collecting like rope, knives, knives a rope, rope a duct tape and uh imaging is following her and she goes like down this corridor and this is like in the underbelly of the boat like past, where there's past no the stuff. cameras uh where there's more like engineering or staff passages type stuff and she basically disappears around a corner which um, Imogene later finds the secret passage there, which is like, wow, how did she know there was a secret passage there? Imogene had to find it. Yeah. Uh, so that raises more questions. We also find out that the matriarch of the family is fucking the priest. Yeah. So everybody has secrets and lies, and a ton more is happening here. Um, really, really good. Uh, Very fun. Fun whodunit as they go. And I'm excited to see all the stuff they point out that, we'll, that we've probably missed that, oh, as we were following Imogen on her journey of trying to find the answers to her mother's murder where, hey, no, we got to solve uh, Dan, uh, Danny or Keith. Keith was his alias, but Danny's murder. Yep. First to then prove that that family was playing blackmail money to, to whoever killed her mother. Um Which I'm sure it's going to try to be something even more nefarious than that. Of course. Um. But the last thing we see is that Imogen finds the secret passage. She goes down to the belly of the ship even further. And Jules is there and says, you shouldn't come here and grabs her. Yep. And it's cut to black. Yeah. Um, so that'll be fun to see what happens. Like, is he really a bad guy or is he? Yeah, it turns out he has a record that he, I don't know what, the, I don't remember what the charges were, but he had a bunch of misdemeanors or something. Yeah. And basically, like, he shouldn't be head of security, is what. Yeah, and Teddy um, was the one who vouched for him. Vouched for him to get him the job somehow. So they must be planning something else, maybe a robbery or something on the ship. Yeah, they didn't get to pull off at the moment um, because of they the had, murder. Because between her and Jules, they would have access to all the safes and everything on the ship, mm-hmm. including the second safe in the guy's office. Yes. So, which was where he was keeping the. Uh, financial documents of the family's business because they're going to close that business deal so they have to present that to the Chinese family. Um, throughout all this, um, we know that that's pretty much all the big mysteries. The only other thing is that the lawyer, I think this uh, Llewellyn, 
is missing. Yeah. And we saw him tied up in a closet at the end of the, like the first or second episode. At the end of the second one. Then we haven't seen him really. We haven't this seen time. him since. We know like I think him and Teddy were having an affair or something was going on between them. And I thought there we, there was a quick scene of like them walking off together and maybe making out. I don't know. <laughs> I think they're connected somehow and like he's missing. Uh because Anna's been trying to call him constantly because like she's talked to the grandmother directly trying to salvage this deal and the grandmother's yeah. like you need to the whole family. The whole family has to tell me all this to, to me. Like she's gonna make try and make a power play that the family should like make it look like she's in charge and all that. So all this is going crazy. And the things characters that we haven't heard from yet is the priest kid who's the TikToker who's around. Yeah, that bit. Derek. Yeah, he's on the ship videotaping everything. That's gonna come into play somewhere. Oh, it has to. But he's like, going like they're gonna go through his footage, and it's like all the background stuff is going to tie everything together. Yeah, and I can't wait for that to happen. Because that's the one character, like, he's on the top billing list, and he was introduced as one of the prime characters Yeah, that we have not seen since he got on the boat and was, like, doing your shit. So, um, we'll have to see where that where that goes. The only other thing that might be a mystery that they might also reveal is that the governor gal, uh, she keeps coughing when they try to say it was her being allergic to Tripp's sweater. Yeah. But she was, like, coughing when she went to go talk to the priest about somebody in the super PAC telling her to talk to uh, Keith as a investor who which mm-hmm. was Dan who got murdered. Um, So something else is going on there. I think she might have a terminal illness that she hasn't told anybody yet about yeah, yeah. that they're trying to keep hidden so that she doesn't lose reelection or something. So lots of mysteries. And like, this is really good that they're, they're giving us new th- questions every episode it's just hopefully at the end they pay it all off. Like it's, it can't turn into a loss. Lost like no. completely sucked in a whole generation of people. And then said fuck you. And then the just end. shat on them like, oh look, look, we're famous. We're gonna go do other stuff now. Yep. So But this show so far has been really good. Yeah. Um I love uh Manny Pink uh pa- Pattinkin as uh <laughs> Rufus as the detective. He's really good. Um Linda Emmett has been a delight to watch her with his funny ass accent. And uh, Violet Bean as Imogene um, has done a great job mm-hmm. with her role and keeping this mystery going. And just the feel that feels Art Deco, like 1950s, because they're stuck on this ship that, like, nothing you yeah. see is out <laughs> of the fifth, is not from, uh, more modern than 1955 or something. Yeah. is puts a great style on this, uh, where it almost feels like, um, like Knives Out or, um, Glass, Glass Onion, Onion, because, like, Glass Onion was, like, here's the ultra-rich, like, with their fancy shit, and uh, overprivileged people, and they all feel that way, even though there's just a small group on this pretty big yacht that a ton of people are on. It's not a ton of people, but there are other people on here. Yeah, there are other people who are not VIPs who don't know what's going on. So, I mean, it's not like it's just these ten people are on this ship. Yeah. Um. Although sometimes it feels that way, because that's the people we're focusing on. Um. But great show. You should watch it. Um, now we'll jump to some movies. Yes, let's um, start with the bad. Yeah. You watch this. I did it. Yeah, I watched Aquaman and Lost Kingdom. Um, How do you enjoy it? Definitely not a good movie. Okay. Um, I'm not going to dive all into what the plot is, but there are some notable things. One reason why I watched it was because supposedly they had cut out a lot of Amber Heard. Uh-huh. They definitely did, but they, fucked, but they did some weird shit with it, right? So it's never explained. They have a kid. Okay. But he's raising the kid in the lighthouse with his dad, and he even refers to himself as a single parent, even though they're seen with the mirror there, like, with her hair tied up and, like, doing laundry. But she's not living there, evidently. She's back in Atlantis, like, running, being a queen, but it's not like she's there running shit. He has to go to work, to which he refers to. So he to, commutes. He commutes to, to Atlantis to be the king who can't do anything because the council doesn't let him. So he's frustrated. And then he goes home and raises his kid, but they, he even said to his dad, yeah, here's to single parents. It's like, you're not single. You have a wife. Like, <laughs> she's not dead. She, she's not, like, incapacitated, but, like, she's only there for a few comedic scenes and to show that, yes, yeah, she's there doing women things, like laundry, I guess. And she's never there taking care of the kid. It's always him. Okay. So that's really weird. It's weird that he re- refers to himself as a single parent. Like, and then I thought, like, okay. You could have just, like, killed her off screen. Well, but... that's what I thought. Because, like, Black Manta shows up and he hits her with, like, his beam and she gets hurt and she has to go to the hospital. Like, oh, well, she's not dead, though. She's just recovering. And then that would make sense why, okay, all the kid's at the dad's house. But, no, he's just raising the kid there all the time. 
Um, okay. Yeah, it's really That's ridiculous. a weird plot line. So what's the other plot line? The main plot is Black Manta's trying to find Atlantic, Atlantic tech so he can rebuild his power suit and fight Aquaman. Instead, he finds a trident that belongs to a lost kingdom, which was this kingdom that was using... Um, uh, mineral for energy that was causing massive greenhouse gases which was destroying the world so like oh. they got banished by the last king of Atlantis okay and stole and frozen and destroyed and like imprisoned he gets it gets possessed by like the king by that king and to go find all this stuff and then release him which he needs the blood of the king to do so which he ends up kidnapping the kid nothing happens to that because like Mira and all of them show up and they save him and it's just like he punches Aquaman's face on this altar floor and the blood goes on there. And then, boom, the guy's going to be free. Okay. And then they fight and he, Aquaman defeats him. Boom. It wasn't very... It's was very, like... It so, was, it was very anticlimactic. It's very comic bookish that you know everything that's going to happen. Um, I was hoping it would be a lot more, like, pretty scenes with, like, how visually appealing the first movie was. Yeah. This doesn't have a lot of that. Oh, um, just because they're, they're running through stuff, they want they want to spend too much so much time with um, Momoa and Patrick Wilson being unlikely brothers, learning to be brothers. Like he keeps calling him brother, and Orm's like, "Don't call me your brother," because he has to break Orm out of jail to go help him find this place. So it becomes like a brother buddy cop thing. Okay. With this single parent thing, and then he finds out, and then like he doesn't tell Orm like. Well, you know, if you weren't an asshole, you could have just been king. But I had to stop you from trying to take over the the surface world. I don't want to be fucking king. It's like oh, I thought you wanted my throne. It's like, no, oh motherfucker, I don't. Um, <sighs> and then in the end, it was really stupid. It's like the whole time he's bitching that this council of Atlantis won't let him reveal Atlantis to the surface world, join the UN, or do anything to help. Like, hey, there's people living in the ocean. Stop dumping shit in here. Because, like, no, we also, we just want to take over the service world. That's why we made Orm the Ocean Master in the last movie. So, like, even though they let him take over the kingdom, imprison Orm, and said, you're our king. No, no, you can't do anything. We still want to take over the service world. And at the end of the movie, it just turns into, no, we're going to join the UN. We're doing the fuck I want. Like, he, they overthrew the council, basically. Nice. <laughs> Without any explanation of how that happened. And then Orm is just like, yeah, go be free. You died here and live live your life. And do we know you don't have to go back to prison? Okay. So it's it's very <laughs> much like a stereotypical comic book story. I just thought it was interesting how they cut Amber Heard out of it because clearly, like, they needed more stuff with Mira to make things make sense. Uh huh. And it's very weird that he's like comparing himself to a single parent when clearly you're not, you dumb fuck. Like she's alive. And she is helping. She's in your house doing chores apparently while you change diapers and like feed the kid to entertain him. I'm sure she's the one up in the middle of the night taking care of it while it cries too. Yeah. Um yet like yeah, they cut out a lot of like, well what's her life? Is she commuting too or is she just Commu- stopping by the house just- every once in a while to do laundry? <laughs> <laughs> Because really, that's all you ever see her do. Other other way that you see her in is like, he's always making the joke about how his kid never misses and always pisses in his face when he's changing the diaper. The one time he moves out of the way, she moves the water so it hits him in the face. That's the only other scene of her in it other than wow. the, fight se- the action sequences towards the middle and the end. So yeah, not a great movie. I can understand why I completely fucking bombed and why Willy Wonka overtook it a week later. Yeah. Everybody went to go see it probably for the same reason like, is it going to be visually stunning like the first one? The first Aquaman movie is very visually stunning. Um, all underwater stuff looks great. The swarm of monsters, the horror stuff at one point looks really good. Okay. But like this movie fails at all that stuff. It doesn't oh. have any of those interesting elements. Wah, wah. Now on to the really good movie. That yes. Um, the excellent movie. This movie came out in, uh, I want to say. If December. December of 2023. Uh, it had a limited release in the U.S. and it then kept getting extended, extended, extended because people kept uh, liking and going to see it. And then on January 26th, when we saw it, they released a black and white version of it. Yeah. And the reason they did that is because we're talking about Godzilla minus one, which you might have noticed the intro music this episode was the Godzilla music and not our normal stuff. Yes. But. That's why, because this movie was fucking fantastic. So good. Um, this is not so good. Not your typical Godzilla movie. Uh, that a lot of people will relate to, which is the 70s 
80s version godzilla because yeah it's the true blue godzilla the og where godzilla is a villain yeah and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and i'm so glad we saw it in black and white yeah this is a very interesting movie because it's much like the legendary uh monster universe one or the monarch monster universe godzilla the very first movie didn't have a lot of godzilla in it a lot of people bitched more like there's not enough godzilla it's fine. If we want to do for uh, these monster movies is shake the bush. Just shake yeah. that fucking bush. Build up tension. And then when he's on there, you're like, yay. Yeah. It's great. It's like Jaws. You shake <laughs> the water. I would say the Monarch movie, the first one, also suffers from it kind of being too dark in some scenes. Uh, yes, I agree. You don't see Godzilla clearly a lot here we see godzilla very, very clearly clear. even in the black and white version yeah. you see him very clearly um so this like you said this goes back to the original thing where goes godzilla back to roots is a villain and people and it's people trying japanese people trying to kill godzilla not oh godzilla is here to save tokyo and defeat mothra or whatever no no mothra is or never a villain defeat mothra was defeat never radon or defeat some yeah, monster or Mega Godzilla, like that's like the '70s, '80s stuff that I grew up with, where Godzilla was always like the hero of the people. No, no, no. which was always as a kid, I was like, "That's weird." Like, nobody's talking to him, and nobody has like a bell to call Godzilla. He the just bell. shows up when <laughs> when shit goes down, right? And the Legendary Monster Universe is doing the same thing, where Godzilla isn't necessarily a hero to the people, but he's not there. He doesn't care about human beings. He's there to take out other uh, titans. Yeah. In this, though. Uh, the original theme of Godzilla was that it was supposed to be a monster unleashed by America's usage and testing of the nuclear bomb. And this is kind of like Japan, I would say, kind of sees that as like... The consequences the cons- of atomic warfare. Constant atomic warfare and almost like the penance of that they, ha- that they have to suffer because they, ju- they cu- jumped into a war that they lost and that they got pelted with. And then Godzilla comes up and, and terrorizes their lives because... Of what the Americans did, mm-hmm. which could have been prevented if they didn't go to war. But this movie doesn't even go into that aspect of it, though. This movie goes more into the aspect of kind of, I would think, the people's view of that war, not necessarily yes. a militaristic view, where we're actually following uh, a, ki- ka- a kamikaze pilot. <laughs> yeah, kamikaze pilot. Um, I want to say, yeah, uh, Kiyoshi uh, Shiki, Shi, uh, Shiki Ishima. Yeah, Shiki, uh-huh. it's Shikishima. Kiyoshi Shikishima. That's All right, name. there you go. <laughs> it takes a while to pronounce the Japanese name. But we're, fo- we're following him, and he's a kamikaze pilot that pretended that his plane was uh, faulty. Messing up. And landed on an island instead of completing his mission. Now, it's interesting, like, right away, like, some of the mechanics there, when they say, hey, nothing wrong with the plane, like, have that, like, wow, he's shameful. How dare he do that? But like the lead mechanic was like, yeah, I understand. <laughs> it makes sense. The war's going the going south. I don't think we're gonna win it. Why throw your your life away? Yeah. But what happens that night? Because um, he's still at on the island. Yeah, he hasn't flown away yet. And uh, at dusk, he's sitting on the beach and he sees all these fish just floating in the ocean. And it's not ordinary fish; they're from the deep. Yeah, See. and like honestly, in black and white, I couldn't really tell. I just figured like they're they look like bloated organisms or something. Yeah, I couldn't even tell it was a fish really. But the bloatedness is to signify they're from deep ocean, so they're not supposed to be this high up, so they uh, decompressed. Yeah, or the, or the, the, the compre- they expand the compression from uh, going from different pressures killed them basically. <clears throat> and basically, Islanders on the on the island of Odo where he's at where he had said, Yeah, there's this monster called Godzilla that shows up. He always drives up uh the fish from the deep ocean. And then that night, boom, Godzilla just shows up. And I'd say he's not as big as you would think, because this is in nineteen forty five. Yeah. Right? Um, so he's not like towering skyscrapers yet, but he is big enough that they have like a man a man made like uh, uh watchtower. Watchtower that as soon as they shine a light on him, he freaks out and destroys it. He's just like, ah. And then he's just kind of stomping around. And then the mechanic man who are in the dugout hiding 
start shooting at him, and that's when... No, they don't start shooting at him. They ask the kamikaze pilot to, to go to his plane, because he has a 20... 22 millimeter. 22 millimeter gun and on there. They think that will kill it. Yeah. Um, but he's... So he sneaks up into his plane, and he... And Godzilla's passing right in front where the guns are. He kind of makes eye contact slightly with it, and he just freezes, and he can't shoot. Yeah, and because, that's when because the ultimately mechanics start shooting at yeah, Godzilla. Ultimately, he's still a coward. Yeah. Like, he feels the shame of being a coward. He doesn't want to die. Um, he didn't want to be a, uh, give his life up first country in the war. He doesn't believe he that, that gun would kill that monster, so he knew if he fired, he'd get killed. And he chose not to, and all the all the gunfire from the mechanics and Godzilla stomping on them, picking him up and throwing them around with his mouth. He ends up destroying the plane, and our main character gets knocked out for the night. When he yep. wakes up, he sees a grave where all the bodies have been dragged to, and then that head mechanics there, yelling at him. Yeah, because he didn't fire, so like now he thinks, yeah, you are a coward. You had an opportunity to try and maybe save our lives, and you didn't even do that. And then when they, I guess they're on the military rescue boat back. Yeah. He gives him all the family photos of all the other uh, mechanics there that passed away yeah. for uh, his shame. Yeah. Um, and then he goes back to his hometown, which is outside of Ginza. They don't exactly say where it's at. Yeah. Um, but he goes back there to find out his parents had died in a bombing raid. This is most likely the Doolittle raids that caused that. Yep. Um, so his whole town's just in shambles yeah. and in black and white, it's, I would say a lot more devastating to yeah. look at. Um, and that's one of the things with like the first instance of Godzilla, he's very fast moving in that, on the Island. Like he yeah. he's not slow at all because also he's not as big yet, but like it's very fast. And it's, that well, was kind of surprising. Just, where, like little kids, they're like, yeah, that's which, things too, which is Something I thought was a kind of was unique because like usually you see Godzilla just being this big lumbering giant, and here he's still a giant, but he's not as big as he as he gets later on. But he was very quick to like rush across the airfield and uh, when he was attacking everything. Yeah. Where later on it's more like he's so big he's not going to be jogging through the city. He's just lumbering along. Yeah. Just kind of going um, doing his thing, which made him really really scary for our first introduction. Yes. Um. But basically now. Uh, Kiyoshi's gone home. His neighbor is, is yelling at him that he's uh, a failure. A failure and that he, he could have won the war if there was less cowards like him in it. Yeah, because like, she knows he was a kamikaze pilot. But then that's when we see like he has a letter from his parents that says, hey, come home alive. Yeah. Which that would have been an interesting dynamic to see like if he came home and his parents were alive, if like the mother was happy he's home or the father thought he was shameful and brought shame on the family. And that's the thing I think a lot of people who don't like this movie on the Western side who gave it poor reviews because of this people element don't understand Japanese culture and like how much shame that he's carrying there and like how bad that is. Like, mm -hmm. and how much he is looked down upon by everyone around him. Yeah. If people knew his secret. Yeah. Um, like literally samurais kill themselves for over shame. That's their culture. It, that's why like even today doing anything that brings shame on you or your family is, is frowned upon highly in their culture. Yes. Um, that's why like, they have a huge homeless pop, uh, problem in Japan, but like you don't see it because they'll go and sleep in uh, it, like uh, internet, cafes internet cafes or, or mega cafes yeah. overnight for like $12 so they're not on the street looking shameful. Um, that's how they, they get around their homeless issue. Um, but it's because that whole uh, idea of shame, that it's shameful to help them out because they shouldn't be in that position. And, and that that person's done something shameful in their life and, like, they, they get ignored and shunned by society. Um, so the only person who kind of really knows the secret is the neighbor. But um, as, like, you know, he's there trying to figure out what to do, um, a woman runs into him and basically hands, her, hands him her baby and runs off as, like, the police are chasing her because, like, she stole some soup or something. Yeah, she stole bread. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know what to do. He was going to abandon the baby, but decided not to. Yeah, so then he like, starts carrying the baby around, and then she pops out from an alleyway and says, Ah, oh, thank you for not abandoning the baby. And then she follows him home. And he's like, Oh, you're not staying here. And, but she falls asleep. And yeah, so he ends up with this unlikely duo where he has this woman and her baby. They're basically staying with him. 
and the neighbor that was shaming him earlier, because uh, she hears the baby, comes over and is asking questions. And that's where we find out that the baby isn't the woman's baby at all. It was, she just picked it up from a couple that was uh, fleeing from the bombings as well. And yeah. they perished. And, and her name is, is Norco. And like Norco basically gives us yes. her parents died in the bombings. This child was kind of thrust upon her. She's taking care of it because she can't just leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's kind of staying with him. Um, which is kind of nice is that, like, they don't... There's no, like, scene where he's going to take advantage of the situation or anything no. like that. Um, he has his own problems he's dealing with. Yeah. He can't sleep at night because of the Godzilla uh, incident and also the shame he feels for uh, not going through with his mission and all that. Yep. Um, but he's also not going to kick her out on the streets. Uh, the neighbor, Sumiko, does come by and gives them rice and say, hey, you have to make rice grow out of this and it's for the baby, not you. And then you Vic- better watch it. And then about... Like, he start rebuilding their lives. Yep. They start rebuilding their lives. He gets a job on a <clears throat> uh, wooden boat that... It has to be a wooden boat because it goes out... Because uh, during World War II, both Japanese and the Americans dropped um, all those they mined mines. the hell out of the, the bay. bay of Japan and, like, all those surrounding waters. So, so he, he gets a job on the boat to go off and collect mines and detonate them. Yep. Uh, so that's where he starts getting the money and they start rebuilding. And uh, the old lady that lives next door become, starts to become their auntie. and Takes care of the baby, baby. while he's working or something like that. Well, help out uh, Sumiko. Yeah. Or Noriko. Or Noriko, sorry. Sumiko is the neighbor. That's the auntie. That's right. Um, but so basically, times go by, you know, he's rebuilt the house. He has a motorcycle. He's friends with the guys on the ship. And about uh, two year pa- two years passes. Yeah, and then basically news is that uh, this giant organism is coming up and swimming around the area and it's heading towards uh, Japan, and they need uh, his boat and their and their partner boat to kind of buy time for a destroyer that was decommissioned that's in China, to, uh, Singapore, or uh, in Singapore to come up to Japan and help and take out this this monster. Yep, and this is like where it goes full Jaws. Yes. And which is really cool to see is that Godzilla starts chasing, shows up, and they try to drop mines to try and dis- to hurt him. And this is where we see two things that happens. Like, one, it gets a mine into in Godzilla's mouth, and uh, uh, Kyoshi shoots it and blows it up. And we see Godzilla, like, regenerate health. Yes. So, like, clearly you can't just shoot it and die. That's why, like, he it gets It comes hit, back. And he always comes back because he just regenerates. Um. And then we also get to, we also get to see Godzilla chase this little wooden boat um, through the water like Jaws. Yeah, and he's just like da 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 da, and it's it's terrifying. Sca- it's terrifying, as well. but awesome at the same time. And it's even more terrifying seeing it in black and white because I've seen that scene in color. And between the two, it's more terrifying black and white. Oh yeah, and then like the destroyer just, shows yeah, up. Yeah, just as it's about to catch them, the destroyer shows up. And starts and grabs Godzilla's attention, and then Godzilla ends up wrecking the shit out of it. Like this yeah. is supposed to be like, what's well, one of our biggest destroyers that Japan had? Um, but it shows yeah, up. Yeah, it's the unsinkable, pretty much. Yeah, and it gets fucking destroyed. Like Godzilla yeah. ends up using his atomic breath underwater to blow and blows it up from uh, from underneath. Um, just because he's that pissed off that it hit it. Hit it him. hurt him. He hurt me. Yeah, but like at least that stalls him from going to Japan for now. Yep. The sh- ship gets back, um, and then there's this big thing where, like, the doc on the ship, he's ex-military as well, he's military intelligence uh, tactician. Kyochi's an ex-fighter pilot, and um, basically all gets told, like, the government's keeping everything hush-hush to the people. They don't want to tell anybody about, about the danger of Godzilla. Yep, so you have to be quiet about it. And they're making the comments that, yeah, that's our government. They always keep everything hush-hush, and they don't tell anybody anything, and they don't do anything to help anybody. And then this is where we more the human element of, hey, the people know, these people know something's up and they need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Godzilla's been kind of fended off for now, but like he ultimately destroyed their ship and then just kind of disappeared at that point. But then um, when he gets back, that's when Noriko says, yeah, I'm going to, I got a job. I'm going to go and get my own place and like move out because I she's kind of waiting for him to ask her, ask him to marry her. Yeah. But like he's 
it stuck he, in his own war as he says my war's not over and he's still struggling that's why he's never bothered to ask her because he wants he needs to get over that before he could well, offer yes. himself to be a husband yeah he's he a serious case of ptsd yeah like he wouldn't even refer to himself as the kid's dad he says no. I'm not, he he says i'm not your daddy even his friend's like don't say that to her. You're being an asshole. Yeah. It's like, no, like you are raising her. Yeah. Thus, you're pretty much her dad. Yeah. But, so. Yeah. So that was a great interaction between those two. And you get more of that relationship. And so like the next day after that interaction or a couple days after. Yeah. She goes off to Ginza for work. Yeah. Um, but dude's just coming. Hey, Godzilla's on his way. He's going to make landfall in, Gin- in Ginza. And so. Uh, Kiyoshi leaves the kid with the neighbor and goes to Ginza to try and get Noriko out of there so that she doesn't get hurt. And this is the scene that you see in the trailer where like Godzilla's in the city and the, he's destroying a train. Yeah. Um. And that's another very frightening scene. Yeah, and it's really interesting because like in most Godzilla movies, like Godzilla's like maneuvering himself around buildings. Like this seemed more he's... like he was there and he was frustrated that there were buildings in his way. To literally one point, like he's walking down a street. And these reporters are on the roof of, 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 of adjacent building reporting on it. And you see him kind of turn around and just fucking destroy a building because he's frustrated that it's there. Yeah, like, it bumped him. And he's like, how fucking dare you? Yeah. Uh. And so he destroys that building and then ends up, like, hitting the building with uh, building with his tail. And that one falls, falls apart with the people all on it. And yeah. They end up dying. He grabs the train that Noriko's on, and like somehow this woman survives hanging onto this train that's in his mouth. She has the strength of ten men to stay smart up. enough to let go and fall when she's over water. Yeah, and, and then gets at. Luckily, the train doesn't fall on her when she's in the water. Yeah, gets out and is in shock. Completely understandable. Yeah, uh, and in the streets, and then somehow, luckily, Koichi finds her. Mm-hmm. And then this is where we see Godzilla coming around a building and people are running and screaming. And then, boom, the military is shooting him with tanks. And then he gets more pissed off and he uses his atomic breath and blows up And the this was so cool to watch him do the atomic breath. Because you see him suck in the air and how the, you know, air currents are changing. Yeah. And then you see the bump, 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 and then <clears throat> release. And it is really powerful and yeah. you get shockwaves back from I, it. I like the way they depicted it because like with Shin's Godzilla the, year, the years prior it was like fire to atomic energy to a to a laser beam mm-hmm. and then back to fire and like other times it's just the just the pure the, energy the pure energy beam that kind of comes out or like the white fire that comes out of the uh, monarch Godzilla this one um it you you see that transition in the air, like you said, and then boom, he blows that up and gives a huge nuclear kind of explosion blast. And Noriko and Kimchi and Koichi are like in, standing by this alley, and they're all watching with everyone else as this shockwave comes. And they're like, "Okay, you guys can jump the alley, right?" And she pushes him in the alley, and you see her get fucking blown, blown away. away, and you never see her again. Yeah, and then now, boom, this guy has survivor guilt over the war. Survivor guilt of his... And he's being chased... He feels like he's being chased by Godzilla for yes. his life. Boom. Noriko uh, is gone. And she he now out-survives her. Uh, and now he has to take care, care of the kid. kid. And all this crazy shit to the point where he's now feeling, no, I need... I've got to take, a ve- take vengeance for Noriko. Mm-hmm. And then this is where we get like even more of the human element of... What the what you probably think the people of Japan actually felt about the war where when they're talking about their big plan, which is, hey, the military's not gonna help us out. We yeah. have all these ex retired military people and all the So all the those people come together to try to stop. And the government's Godzilla. gonna give us like four boats, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but their government military or active military, nobody's going to get involved with what their plan is. And the doc who is on his boat, who is the tactician, his plan is we're going to sink Godzilla to 1,500 meters underwater. The pressure should crush him. And if that doesn't work, we're going to inflate a raft to bring him up to the surface At a, so fast that yeah. the decompression will kill him. Yes. Um, That's their big plan. Uh, they're going to lure him with a recording of his own voice. So, like, oh, he'll think it's another lizard like him and he'll show up. Yeah. Um, and then Koichi asks for him to sec- secure him a, a jet. So he can, if the if the first bait doesn't work, he can lure him with the jet, and so they can get him to the target zone and try and sink him. Um, but we have this whole point like Koichi's like now on a 
a mission of vengeance and like he's willing to probably kill himself for this. Yes. Um, but he demands to get the old mechanic from the island of Oda. Because they fix... find him a plane it... that never flew during the war. Yeah, it's a tailwind plane that has like a propeller in the back. It was faster. More maneuverable. Bigger which... guns. <laughs> more maneuverable. Um, but it never got deployed before the uh, before, before the war ended. Because they were saving them for any uh, attacks on the mainland. Yeah, air-to-air combat. But that did not happen in the war. Yeah. So, um, they finally get the mechanic back. The mechanic still hates him. Um, but but agrees to do it because he wants to stop Godzilla. Yeah. Um, and then, like, as the day of the mission shows up, they're going to go and do and do this. Uh, he's going, he leaves a note and money to Sumiko saying, take care of the kid. Here's all this money. Yeah, so, like, clearly we know that he plans on killing himself, um, and fulfilling his kamikaze destiny, right? Um, and then while he's there with a mechanic and he's showing him, like, hey, this is how you trigger the bomb that we're going to put in here that you wanted us to put in. Uh, this is how you do this. And then that's when, like, he sees... He has a picture of Noriko. He understands. Well, and also he sees that he brought all the pictures of, of the uh, other the mechanics. Me- mechanics, families, and themselves. And he tells him, like, now you're ready to be a kamikaze. Yeah. And then he cuts off to somewhere else, to the other mechanics in there. Um, well, it cuts off back to um, the, sci- the scientist, scientist yeah. guy. And their boat's getting ready to for deployment. Because Godzilla's coming. But he comes quicker than they anticipated. Yeah. Um, so they get out there, they have a decoy boat for him to blow up, which Godzilla does, but their plan is that they're going to wrap, take two boats and kind of drive, go around him and wrap him in tanks that will, uh, cause that like, will... like phosphorus bubbles that will make him dense and fall and sink to the sink yeah. to the bottom. Um, but they gotta get the boats around him without him destroying it, so that's why they have this decoy boat. Um, but he shows up so early that he destroys the bait boat and ends up throwing it into the dock. Which is hilarious. Yeah, you just see this giant ship. And especially in black and it's so cool to see it in black and white. Because like in color you could see how everything's all special effects and all this, but it's, it feels so it real. It hides the special effects so good. Yeah, in this black and white and he gets, so he gets thrown out there. And then Godzilla ends up tromping, going on land, just kinda walking around yep and that's where kuishi uh, has to use the jet to lure him back which he does and then this is where you get your big final scene where you're they're fighting godzilla in the water uh they get the uh the the, the gas around him and they are able to detonate it before godzilla can do another blast yeah because he's charging up to do a second blast and there's a new like he had it after one he has to charge up a bit that's why they purpose put a decoy out there for him to blow up which he does then they put the boats around him they sink him like you said they inflate the stuff to bring him back up um because but like he he ends up not going back up he stops at 800 meters yes um and they can't pull him out because the boats aren't strong enough and then boom shows up the huge tug community yeah the all um, the civilian people who weren't ex-military and yep. that were told you can't come on the mission which is one of his crewmates who was a younger kid who didn't fight who, the war yeah who had a broken arm yeah but all the civilian boats come to help uh pull up godzilla yeah and so they pull up godzilla finally and you see and him getting injured from the his depression. injuries and he's not dead he's very pissed off yeah <laughs> and so um, he's like i'm going to take you out yeah so the coup coup uh Kuichi is flying around, and this is where his big moment comes. His plan was to fly this plane into Godzilla's mouth with the bomb on there. And explode it. Blow up Godzilla's head and kill him, and hopefully stop him from regenerating. Um, and everybody sees what he's doing, and they all have the folks like, man, I th- hope he doesn't try and like, be a ka- kamikaze again. Yeah. Because uh, his his closest friends knew about it um, and didn't judge him for it, but they felt like, okay, Noriko's dead. He might do this and end up abandoning that child. He, hopefully he doesn't do it. Yeah. And what we find out is what the mechanic was telling him after he showed him how to arm the bomb was like, and by the way, they installed an ejection sheet. Uh, yeah. Sh- uh, ejection seat. sheet. Uh, so ejector seat. In this plane. Um, and that's where we get to like, um, before this plane, when they were talking about it, 
the doc had this big speech about it's like our country has wasted its value of life by making our pilots be kamikazes in the war and at this time that they wanted to take down Godzilla without any loss of life and how important that is to them so what they in that's why he has this plan to do this and not hopefully they don't want Kuichi to die so that he can they sell this plan where they do have no loss of human life because they value life they don't want to just throw lives away in an effort to win um, like the country did during the war so it's very clear that like there's possibly a very public view that kamikaze pilots was not something that people agreed with was not something that Japanese people thought were was an honorable thing to do, and probably definitely not after they lost the war, thinking that their sons lost their lives to do to be a kamikaze pilot in the world in World War Two to fail to win. Like that was a waste of life. They died for nothing because they didn't even win the war. Um, so that's why at this point everybody's hoping like Koichi, don't do it, don't do it. He's flying around, pissing off Godzilla. It's great because when he's coming in to fly into his mouth, the sound design just goes completely quiet. Yeah, and it's so impactful. And you hear it, and then you hear his plane from a distance coming up. Yeah, and it's so good. And because guys was about to do a atomic breath right on uh, his on the boats. boats, and boom, he flies a plane, pulls the ejector seat last second, crashes into Godzilla's mouth. It blows up, up his head. Godzilla's head is blown up. This is the first time I've ever seen a Godzilla movie that Godzilla dies. Like yeah. he, his head is gone and he sinks down to the to the ocean. Um, so they all cheer. Godzilla's dead. Like you, that's why this movie is so good because, like, I think it's why a lot it was of Western such a good redemption. Yeah, redemption art for Koichi and the human story and the concept that like the Japanese people did not always agree with their government. That even if they did at the time. But after the war, they realized that the the waste of life to throw their pilots away was completely uh, all these young men it's... completely wasteful for yeah. like for what they didn't even win the war, so it's not worth using a tactic like that. Yeah, um, and even if they did win the war, they would still not be happy with the fact that all their sons were lost uh, doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was such a kind of a cool message and great way of depicting that. Yeah, and. That's why this movie is so good. Like it should be more be up for more than just like a special effects Oscar. It should be up there for like best foreign film. Oh, one hundred percent. It has everything in it. Yeah, it's so good. I can see why Westerners didn't like it because Westerners kind of grew up with the Godzilla hero complex and seeing a movie where Godzilla yep. is the actual villain and you actually kill <laughs> Godzilla uh, is probably shocking to a lot of people. So one, there probably wasn't enough Godzilla in it for uh, Westerners who were like, I just want to see monsters destroy cities and fight each other. Uh, and hey, the monster got killed at the end. So like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> but what's even best, because it is Godzilla, after the happy ending and everything, we see the Godzilla mass regenerating underwater and bubbling. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like he's, he's not gonna come back. He's going to come back and be even more pissed. So Godzilla minus two, maybe? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So it would be cool. Um if they can kind of if they continue this this storyline or not, but even if they don't, I think this is a great story. It's so good. Um, it's great standalone. Seeing it in black and white is great because it's an homage to the original 1954 Godzilla. Yes, and this fits so well. Like as cheesy as that 1954 Godzilla is, if if I wanted to show somebody introduce somebody to the world of Godzilla, I would probably show them this movie first, mm-hmm. and then show them like all the new ones that are, that have been been out. Um, so you understand the evolution. I always knew that Godzilla was supposed to be a villain, and for some reason it changed to like he was a hero. I just never really saw the villain movies come out because they're so old. Ah, uh, that's uh, a disappointment. But like, <laughs> this was a great way to reintroduce that element mm-hmm. and introduce like these movies were about the people and about how Japan had Japan recovered after the after the atomic bomb was being dropped on them and their fears of atomic energy. Yeah, that's what the original themes were supposed to be. It's not. About a monster just destroying shit. That's the entertainment part of it. Um, this tied it to me a very emotional people story, which was actually done very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, where I could see how people could say in the first, like, uh, Monarch Godzilla, that's like, yeah, why do I care about the soldier? Why do I care about his wife? Well, because uh, that's what originally the movies were. They yeah. were the human aspect. And that's the thing. Like, no movie is ever like, this is Godzilla's point of view. You never see Godzilla's <laughs> point of view. You just see Godzilla fighting. And that became, like, the entertaining 
great part that everybody liked to watch. Um, but this is like the real story of how what Godzilla's up to, and that's why I really like it. Yes. Uh, so highly recommend it. Uh, I don't know how much longer it's going to be out in the theaters. I believe in February it's supposed to be gone, but I don't know how long the black and white version is going to run. Yeah. Because it started if, basically the last week of, of January. So hopefully it'll run a little longer. And quite frankly, you should probably see Godzilla minus one minus color. Yeah, I, would, I recommend watching a black and white. When this comes out to buy, I will buy a version that has both color and black and white. I, I really want the black and white movie poster of yeah, it. It's so I was good. looking at Amazon for this and I found a few of them. Like, I, these are like... Crap, I, crap company names. No, like, I need legit. like a lithograph. I need the true blue. Like they had, like, had them on canvas. And stuff. Uh, so I, but anyway, I do that. but yeah, great movie. Definitely watch it. If yes. you see it in black and white, watch it in black and white. Um, Strong recommendation. I'm sure the color version is just as good. We haven't watched that yet, so we don't know. Uh, yeah, but, but black and white was definitely impactful. They color graded it very, very well. Mm-hmm. The music, the audio, everything's great about it. Amazing. So check it out. All right, so uh, that's our show for this week. Um, Next week, we'll talk about uh, some gaming stuff as well. uh, Because I got uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth came out. Uh, Playing through that, uh, as well as some Dragon's Dogma 1. And then uh, Persona 3 is going to be out this week as well. Mm -hmm. So we'll definitely talk about that too next week. As well as more uh, Night Country and Death and Other Details. Sounds good to me. And then we'll keep you up to date with any new movies that we see. But to start off the year, Godzilla Minus One is definitely a great way to start the year with movies. So we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye.